Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in the Gospel reading, you see some of the most important people in the pre-Christmas Christmas story. There are four people present in the gospel reading, and they're all, in some way, people that many people in the world today might not view the same way that the Bible does, that God does. And some of them are people that are not really praised highly in our world today, like some things in our world are praised. These are four people, and some are people that the world might not even view as people at all. These four people are Mary, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, and Jesus. And you might be thinking, I know the story pretty well. But why are these some of the most important people in the pre-Christmas Christmas story? Okay, I mean, well, Jesus, duh. Mary, too, but Elizabeth and John? I mean, John is important later. I mean, we, we heard a couple weeks ago, John prepares the way for Jesus. And, well, when Jesus begins his ministry on earth, we know that John decreases and Christ increases. But why are John and Elizabeth important now? And why are the four of them important in the way they're viewed in the Bible compared to how the world views them? Well, I'm so glad you had these thoughts and questions, so let's dig in today. We're living in a time where women are exalted in our world today. I mean, take a look at this recent tweet. It reads, I take so much delight in the silence of the men in the Christmas story. Zachariah can't speak, Joseph doesn't speak, while the words and emotions of Mary and Elizabeth are unapologetically centered. The sound of Advent is the voice of women. Now, I have no problem delighting in Mary and Elizabeth. We're going to talk about them today. And we're going to talk about them today because they are a part of this Christmas and Advent season and story. But I would like to discuss them for who they are in the Bible and regarding our gospel story today, not at the expense of Zechariah and Joseph, though. And here's the thing. While it's great that one person delights in Mary and Elizabeth and their voices in Advent, in the majority of the world, the Marys of the world aren't the ones being exalted. Why? Because we see that Mary was a humble servant. Two words you don't often hear about with the exalting of women in society. Humble servant. Because humility doesn't normally get you very far in this world, doesn't get you ahead in the world. And being a servant, well, I mean, it kind of just sounds like someone who gets walked all over. Also sounds like a slave. 
not something that also gets you ahead in this world. There's one more thing that we do know about Mary, and that is at this point, she's a virgin, even though Jesus is in her womb. We are living in a time and point in history, in the history of the world, where sex is a fundamental right for all people of any age. I mean, how many virgins do you know that are highly praised for their abstinence? Or are they more likely to be thought of as weird? Because, well, everyone's doing it, so if you haven't done it yet, there's probably something wrong with you. I mean, the average age when people lose their virginity today is 15. So if we view Mary as a teenager, like she probably quite possibly was, in our world today, then Mary would, on average, would definitely not have been a virgin. So, yeah, she's weird indeed. We're also living in a time in history where women are exalted for all the wrong reasons. Since sex is viewed by many as a fundamental right, we see that pornography has exalted women, exalted them as objects, objects who are enslaved and abused by the god of sex, adultery, and lust. And research has long shown the damaging effects of pornography on people. And just this week, a 19-year-old, now 20, year-old Grammy Award winner spoke out about the consequences of pornography on her brain and the disgrace that it is to women. I delight in her voice this Advent. And maybe a popular artist like her can inspire conversations and change that can do good for women, for men, and for the world. And then maybe... It won't be weird to be a virgin. Oh wait, being a virgin before marriage is no weirder than believing in Jesus. Because these are both things that God wants for his people. What about Elizabeth? We haven't talked about Elizabeth yet. In the majority of the world, the Elizabeths of the world aren't the ones being exalted either. She's described as advanced in years. She's old. And she's barren. She can't have children. How many old, barren women do you know who get highly praised? Well, maybe the world would think highly of her for being barren because there are plenty of people in the world that will push the freedom of choice, especially for women, and hey, if a woman wants to make a choice to never have children, it's probably best if she is barren. Because that makes life so much easier since you never have to worry about contraception again. Plus, I don't know about you, but I've heard multiple times from multiple people this phrase. Why would anyone want to bring a child into a world like this? The idea that this world is so terrible, so harsh of an environment with crime and poverty and climate change and overpopulation and on and on and on. And it's only going to get worse. 
that not only having a child is a burden, but having a child at this point in history is an even bigger burden because of the, what the world might look like 50 years from now. And why would you want to leave your child in that kind of world? Never mind the fact that all of us are selfish individuals by nature and, well, I mean, having a kid really cramps on our ability to do whatever we want with whomever we want without having to worry about anyone else and how late you can stay out because, well, you got a babysitter at home. And now, you know, with kids, you actually have to, like, spend money on someone other than yourself, like your kids and babysitters. I mean, having kids is really supposed to make you at least a little bit less selfish. And I mean, who wants that? But there are plenty of people in this world who do want children and do want to bring them up in this world at this time in history and do want a child to share their life with and shower them with love. And there are those who are not able to conceive, and it is a burden, just like it likely was for Elizabeth, since barrenness was often seen as a curse and a punishment, since procreation was seen as a blessing and commandment from God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If God can do that, then God can certainly use weird virgins, old, barren women, to accomplish his purposes. Or rather, we could say, God takes the impossible and makes it possible, since nothing is impossible with him. And so in the gospel reading for today, we see two women chosen by God who impossibly conceived. One virgin, one barren. And Mary, the virgin who is with child, goes and visits Elizabeth, the barren, who is no longer barren and is also with child, and this is where we can talk about those other two people in the story. That being Jesus and John the Baptist. Two babies in the womb. Babies who are often viewed as more of a burden than a blessing. Especially in the pro-choice pro world out there. Babies who, as we've already seen, may not be the best thing to bring into this awful world that we live in. Two babies that many people would view as just a clump of cells. Not a real human being yet. No real life there. Which, when that is the belief, makes it easier to terminate that child when it's unwanted or unexpected because of the burden that it is. If it's not life, well then it's not murder and we can feel better about ourselves. Yet we hear David say, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. I didn't know that a clump of cells could be sinful. 
I didn't know that something that wasn't alive could be sinful. Unless it isn't just a clump of cells. Unless that non-living thing is actually alive. If life begins at conception, which I think the Bible shows us, then what you have in the wombs of Mary and Elizabeth are two living children. Or as Luke writes, two babies. And it just so happens that when pregnant Mary greets pregnant Elizabeth, that one baby, John, leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Ever heard of something that isn't alive leaping for joy? Me neither. So then what you have here is one child who is the Son of God and one child who is filled with the Holy Spirit. One child who had faith because of the Holy Spirit. Ever heard of something that isn't alive being able to believe? Me neither. And if these babies are alive, then they are to be valued, protected, and in the case of the gospel reading, learned from. So what can we learn from John? I'm so glad you asked. John, leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb, is a confession of faith. That the child in Mary's womb was the Savior. A confession that John would verbally say many years later when he sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, has her own confession of faith in the Gospel reading. It's a song of praise that we call the Magnificat. And it's a confession of faith because it's going to answer some of the questions in the song that we're about to sing. That is, Mary, did you know? Now, I actually like this song. I know that there are, are people out there who don't. But I like it because it's fun to actually think of the specifics of this song. Imagine what Mary must have thought, seen, and gone through with this tiny child. What she must have thought about in regards to Jesus' future. I mean, any of you who have ever held a baby in your arms, especially your own, can understand the thoughts that go through your mind as you stare at that child. And that child stares back at you, smiles at you. And you can also understand what goes through your mind as you stare at that sleeping child in your arms. So let's go over some of the parts of the song and see what we can learn from God's word, from Mary herself even. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, what would you like to say? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Save our sons and daughters. Savior. Sounds good to me. But we also know that the angel tells her and Joseph that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I think that's a resounding yes. All right, Mary, did you know 
When you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? What do you think, Mary? Well, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will, called, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Yes, she knew she kissed the face of God. Okay, one last one, Mary. Did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water, would give sight to the blind man, would calm a storm with his hand? Again, we hear the words of the angel to Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, for nothing will be impossible with God. He will be great. He will do great things. He will do impossible things. Or as Mary says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then she goes on. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, maybe not specifically that he'd calm the storms, that he'd walk on water, but certainly that he would be great, that he would do great things and be the promise keeper of all the promises that God had made to his people, to Abraham, to his offspring. So yes, absolutely. She knew that Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, was the Son of the Most High, who came into our world at the exact right time, right moment in history for us, through herself a humble virgin, a servant named Mary, came to die for us and for our sins, for our selfishness, for placing ourselves as the most important thing, rather than placing God as the most important thing. He came to die for us and for our sins, for loving ourselves more than anything else, more than we love God, more than we love our neighbor. He came to die for us and for our sins, for our addictions, like pornography, for our adultery, for objectifying women, for not valuing all lives, especially lives in the womb, for every other sin that we commit in thought, word, and deed. She also knew that Jesus came to rise from the dead for us, to give us eternal life, to give us heaven. Mary, did you know? This Advent, this Christmas, her voice rings out. Yes, I did know. And because of the words that have been written down in the Bible, God's words, the words of Jesus, which also includes, includes some words of Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, because these words are proclaimed in your midst. Now you too know just as Mary did, of the great love that God has for you in sending his only son, Jesus, to be born for you, to die for you, and to rise for you, and who sent his Holy Spirit to be upon you so that you can believe, even while in the womb, and so make your confession of faith that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is the message of Advent, the message of Christmas, and the message for all time. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.